Good morning. I want to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church today. It's a beautiful Lord's Day. It's a little nippy though, right? It's good to be warm together in the Lord's house and uh, just gather together as, as the, the body of Christ. Um, and, and we're just so glad you're here. I think we have several visiting with us maybe for the first time. And we want you to know that we're especially glad to see you. Hope you uh, can just make yourself at home and enjoy uh, the morning of worship. Here at East LJ, we've been captivated by Christ. We have seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ the glory of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God has given us His grace, which is His glory in Christ. And, and in Jesus, we have been uh, made whole. We've been uh, justified, sanctified. We will be glorified one day, and we praise Him for His grace. I want to give a quick thank you to Al Finucci for cooking for the youth and the children this last Wednesday. Al's going to start doing that uh, ever so often, and uh, that's, that's just for the youth and children. But um, join us again this Wednesday, and we had, uh, we had more than enough. We had some ball games get moved around, so we had Al made way more than we needed. So this Wednesday, there'll also be some baked spaghetti for the youth and children. So join us and thank Al for uh, cooking for us. I want us to stand and greet one another. If you see somebody you don't know, introduce yourself to them, uh, and then we'll come back together in just a few moments. All right, if you'll make your way back to your pews and remain standing. <clears throat> I, try to, I try to keep you from sitting down, but it seems like everybody gets in a good up and down, at least a few people every, every Sunday. So let's look to God's Word together. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and following. Therefore, brothers, since we have, have confidence... To enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, verse 35 says, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 39 says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Because of Jesus... 
we can boldly and confidently come to the throne of grace. We can, by faith, in Jesus, enter into the Holy of Holies. Talk to God as our Father. Know that He hears us and accepts us. And, and yet, sometimes that we struggle in our faith, don't we? We struggle to believe. Uh, things happen that, that challenge our faith. And, and, and this morning, we're going to look at that hall of fame of faith there in Hebrews 11 and be encouraged by those examples to persevere. But I'm so thankful that you and I know that we can draw near, that a new and living way has been opened up. This is the gospel, and if you know him today, you know the access that you have, the, the salvation that is yours, the great priest over the house of God that you, that you have. You know your, your heart's been sprinkled clean even by the blood of the Lamb. And so we praise God for that. But so many we know don't know peace with God. Uh, your neighbors, our family members, and then the nations. So we want to pray for our, our neighbors and also the nations. This morning for the Jot Dilan people of India, 221,000 people, uh, no known believers among them. So we want to pray for this unreached people group. Join me as we also pray for some others who are families who are grieving, uh, a number who are, are sick or ill this morning, uh, having various surgeries and this kind of thing. So let's pray together. Father, we can even bow our heads and say, Father, because of Jesus. Because He's opened up the way. His body was torn like the veil there's no longer any separation between us and holy God because Jesus paid the price for all of our sins. He is our righteousness, and it is in Him and only in Him that we can come into your presence. But thank you that because of Him, we can come boldly. You have made us who were your enemies to be your sons and daughters, and we are loved by you. What an awesome salvation is ours and so we love you father because you first loved us we thank you and god for those that we know that have yet to come to know christ lord we pray that you would make us faithful witnesses and that you would work in their hearts to open their hearts to the gospel father we pray for the jot Dilan people of india almost a quarter million people with no known believers there Father, penetrate this people group with the gospel. We pray that they might know the joy of Christ, even as we do. And this morning, Father, we want to join our hearts together to pray for the family of Betty Burnett as they grieve her home going uh, over the weekend. Father, thank you for the hope that she had, and we just pray for comfort for this family. Continue to pray for the family of James Hughes. Father, we pray for Hayden Pritchett and Teddy Milton. This morning we lift up Tina Johnson, Billy Duncan, George Wester, Wilburn DeFore, Denise Key, Steve Eller, Chris Hanley, Carol Kemp, Liz Clark, LaGene Aiken, Angie and Larry Callahan. Lord, we've been praying for some of these folks for a long time, and they have been struggling long. God, we pray you'd sustain them and strengthen them. 
Father, we want to pray, especially this Sunday, for Pat Hamby and Fran Waddell, for Vicki Waters, thank you that she's with us today, and for Tricia Patterson. Father, we pray for each of these uh, ladies as they deal with things, uh, been dealing with things just recently and even today. So we pray, Father, that you strengthen them and bring healing and a sense of your peace and presence. Father, thank you for the privilege to worship you today. May you, by your Spirit, enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth. May Christ be exalted, and in Him may we find our all in all. May we be fully satisfied as we drink from the fountain of living water. And yet, may we never be satisfied until glory comes, Lord, with our knowledge of you, with our enjoyment of you. May we ever grow in that. For there is no one like you. And we pray all these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing as we worship in song. We're glad you joined us this morning. We thought we'd mix it up a little bit and see if y'all noticed we're swapping places out. But we're going to sing I'll Fly Away so y'all join in. Everybody knows this song.
I don't know about y'all, but that was a treat for me personally.
Lord Jesus, truly, 
there is no one like you. There is no one greater than you. You are God's last, final, and best word spoken to us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you did pay it all. And we praise you, the one who paid our debt and raised our life up from the dead. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Through the gospel and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you raised us to new life in Jesus. And we praise you. Father, thank you for the hope that is ours. The confidence that we can have in Christ before the throne of God. The hope that we have, not just in this life, but for eternity. And how I pray you would strengthen us today. That you would strengthen our endurance In our faith, Lord, that we would walk with you faithfully day by day. That we wouldn't drift. That our hearts would not become dull and hardened to the very word of God by which we've been saved. And God, that we would persevere, that we would walk with endurance and be encouraged to run the marathon race of faith faithfully all the way to the end with our eyes fixed, immovable on Jesus. God, we need your help. And so we come to you and we pray. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Hebrews. Be our teacher now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We will be dismissed to Children's Church, and as they're making their way out, turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be looking for the next few weeks. Faith. It's a word we hear a lot, isn't it? It's a word we may use a lot. Do you have faith? How is your faith this morning? What is faith? Again, a word that gets thrown around a lot takes on a variety of meanings depending on who is using the word, doesn't it? Well, the Bible is serious about faith, and it's clear about what it means. And in particular, the book of Hebrews is real serious about faith, and is equally as clear about what it means. We continue this morning in our study of the book of Hebrews. We pick it back up after quite a break through the holidays. We've been looking at this letter to Hebrew believers, Jewish Christians, 
And we've kind of been considering it under the title of Don't Forget Who Jesus Is. If you take the whole book and boil it down, the, the, the author's message is don't forget who Jesus is and then live like it. Let that reality shape everything about your life. Don't ever forget who He is and keep your life in step with who He is. The word faith is found 33 or so times in the book of Hebrews, more than any other New Testament book. The word faith is found in the first 10 chapters seven times, although the idea is referred to in other ways throughout those chapters, many more times than that. But the word faith itself, seven times in chapters 1 through 10. In chapters 12 and 13, the word faith is found three times. And I told you it was about 33 times in the book. You can do, you're, 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 you're caught up, right? Seven plus three is... 10, that means 23 of the 33 times the word faith is used in Hebrews 11. Remember from our previous study in this book, remember all the glorious things we've learned, all the truths, the realities that are ours in Christ, all that Christ has done for us. Remember with me, We've learned about Christ giving himself once for all as a final sacrifice for our sins in, 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 in Hebrews 9, verse 14. We've seen Christ perfecting us for all time by a single offering there on the cross in Hebrews 10, verse 14. We saw Christ giving us a clean conscience by his own blood there in Hebrews 9, 14, and also from where we read a little bit earlier this morning, Hebrews 10, verse 22. We've seen Christ being our sympathetic high priest before God in chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. That sympathetic priest who understands us and therefore having been in our flesh and, and walked around and lived on this planet as God incarnate, he can sympathize with and help us. The book of Hebrews teaches us in chapter 7, verse 25, that Jesus is right now interceding for us day after day with the Father. And Christ is putting His law in our minds and writing them on our hearts. He is, according to chapter 8, verse 10, being our God. And because of what He's done in His perfect life, His sin, atoning death, and His resurrection, chapter 8, verse 12 says, God remembers our sins no more. And somebody should have said hallelujah or amen right there. God remembers. Because of Jesus, God remembers your sins no more. Good place to stop and ask you this. Can you remember some of your sins this week? I can. Does that feel good when you remember your sins? And this text just tells us that what Jesus has done puts us in a position, a relationship with the Father, so that He remembers our sins no more. The author's goal in the book of Hebrews is, to is for us to remember who Jesus is and live like it. In Hebrews 6, verse 11, the author of Hebrews exhorts us, we desire, he says, this is what I want for you. We desire that each one of you Show the same diligence 
so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. I, in other words, the author of Hebrews is here saying, I don't want you just to kind of limp along in your walk with Jesus. I don't want you to just kind of stumble along and barely hang on to Christ through the rest of your life. I want you to realize the full assurance of hope until the end that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. What's he saying? I want you to live with a strong hold on Christ. A firm grasp on Jesus. A full assurance of the hope that God's given you in Him. For you see, that's the only way to truly follow Christ. Piper says there is no casual coasting. Today's zeal can become tomorrow's doubt and boredom. If we're not diligent, if we're not careful, if we don't watch ourselves, then to today's zeal can turn into doubt and boredom and we can begin to drift and dull and harden in our hearts towards the one who saved us. But also, the numbness of today, it can go the other way, can become tomorrow's power. If our faith is renewed and strengthened. You'll remember in this, in this context, the, the, those to whom the author writes this letter are Jewish believers who've begun to move back toward Judaism, back toward the works of the law. They've become convinced that even as Jews, there's only one way to God, and that is through faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and rose again to save them. And they've embraced Christ. But because of their faith in Christ, because they're no longer going through the sacrificial system of the temple, all of their Jewish brethren that surround them are persecuting them. It's becoming hard to say that Jesus is better than the law. It's becoming really challenging to say, I don't have to make sacrifices over and over and over again because Jesus paid it all. And so they've begun to slide back into that religion of works. And they needed faith. They needed their faith to endure. Again, as we read earlier, Hebrews 10, 35. Do not throw away your confidence. Your confidence in what? In Jesus, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 39 of chapter 10 tells us, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. There's the possibility that you and I, as we're following Jesus, can go from trusting Him, walking closely with Him, to shrinking back, and according to the text, being destroyed. I don't know how it all works, but that's pretty plain. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to find myself shrinking back, and I sure don't want to find myself destroyed. Amen? Thus we have need of perseverance. We come to Hebrews 11 today. This whole chapter is a call to remember God's faithfulness 
to all of those who have trusted him in the past, all of those individuals from the old covenant who have given us the title of today's message, our heritage of faith. What is Hebrews 11 but a portrait of our heritage of faith, the family of faith, those who've gone before us and walked trusting God, believing the promises of God. Here's the truth I want you to take away from our time together in Hebrews 11 this morning and in the days ahead. Our heritage of faith, all these examples that we're about to look at, our heritage of faith should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is God's best word. As we read from Hebrews 11, a few verses, and also get into verse, our chapter 12, I want you to kind of get, get this picture we just read at the end of chapter 10 that you have need of endurance. You remember that? You remember that? Y'all tracking with me? The last verse of Hebrews 10 says, you're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but you are of those of faith who believe and preserve their souls. Hebrews 11 verse 1. You're of those who are of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith. What is this faith that we're part of the people of? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going, to pick, we're going to go from chapter 11, verse 8. We're going to unpack all the different examples over several weeks there, all the way through the end of this chapter. But the last two verses of the chapter, listen to them. And all these, we're just going to look at about four of them this morning. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, Hebrews 12, 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The author of Hebrews says, you have need of endurance, chapter 10. Here is a host of your brothers and sisters that endured. Here's how to do it. Here's what it looks like. But understand, 
even as they endured under the old covenant, even as they walked faithfully and by faith with God, they did not inherit the ultimate fulfillment of the promises of God. God has something bigger, and that's what we've got in the gospel. And so therefore, since you've got this host of witnesses who really never got the prize, they made it, they pleased God, and they didn't even know the whole gospel. You then cast off the sin, all the weights, and run with a laser focus on Jesus the race that's set before you. Listen, if they could run the race of faith without the gospel, without the fullness of the message of Jesus, listen, if they could remain faithful and trust God, listen, without a crucified, hear me, and risen Savior, the grave is empty. Whoa. Where am I? Am I still in the... Are you still here? The grave is empty. Christ is risen. If they could be faithful without knowing that message, then we can too. What greater motivation than a risen Savior? Our heritage of faith should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is God's best word. Three realities about biblical faith. The first one is, uh, we're going to start in verse 6. Notice there, the necessity of faith. <clears throat> the text says, without faith it is impossible to please Him. That's pretty, that's pretty simple, isn't it? If you don't trust God, you can't please Him. If you don't take Him at His word, you can't please Him. If you don't believe His promises... And live like it. You can't please Him. Our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the one true and living God, and we can only please Him by relating to Him by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So, that leads to point number two, which is we really need to understand, secondly, what faith is. Amen? You can't please God without it, so I need to know what it is so I can please God. What faith is, it's in verses 1 through 4, beginning there in verse 1. Now faith, he just gives us a definition. Now, that's not a simple definition. <laughs> it's, not as, it's not as easy as it first sounds when, he, when, he, when you read this, but it, here it is. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not Seeing what faith is. There's the definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What does that mean? Well, I want to unpack it beginning with the second half of verse 1 first. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Some of your translations have it, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Sounds a little different than faith is, not, is the conviction of things not seen, right? When we think about conviction, what do we think? We think about something that, we, that I believe, that I sense and feel. When we think about evidence, we think about what? 
what I think and feel? No, what is real? Got a couple of attorneys in the room. They present evidence, not convictions, to the court. You tracking with me? Big difference there, significant difference. It is the convictions, conviction, the evidence of things not seen. What does he mean? Well, I think verse 2, which follows the second part of verse 1, helps us. Faith is the conviction, the evidence of things not seen. Verse, uh, excuse me, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You know, when you just look outside, when you just look around this room, when you look at creation, you may not know where it came from, but it's there, isn't it? It's there. You know, if atheists, agnostics, or secular humanists put their faith into words, it would have to sound something like this. By faith, we believe that the universe evolved from mindless matter so that order accidentally emerged from chaos. Because, you see, if there is no God, and that's what happens. I mean, it's kind of like this. It's like taking a, a gallon of milk and shaking it up, and then opening the lid and keep shaking it. And expect a beautiful work of art to come out on the floor. I had a wreck one time, and I'd bought stuff to make oatmeal cookies. It included eggs, milk, and oatmeal. And by the time my car stopped, I looked like an oatmeal cookie. I was wearing it all. And what's amazing is those ingredients did not, in the chaos of the wreck, organize themselves into oatmeal cookies even though all the ingredients were present. Of course, the atheist, the agnostic, the secular humanist, they're hard-pressed to find any evidence for this statement of faith. Science consistently shows that there is order, that does, and that order does not grow from chaos, and that design always points to a designer. It sounds a lot like um, here in Hebrews Eleven three. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It reminds me of Romans 1, verse 18, where it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Why? Because they suppress, by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. Listen to this, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. There's nobody on the planet that doesn't know there's a God. He's shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, invisible attributes, again, back to Hebrews eleven three, 3, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they were without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. God shows every person His reality through the creation, through the Word of creation. Apart from Scripture, everyone knows there's a Creator, and yet in sin we suppress that truth because we don't want there to be a God. Because if there is a God, then we've got to deal with Him. And suddenly we can't be God of our own little kingdom. Faith is believing what we see in God's creation is real and it has a creator. What cannot be denied is that the world around us exists. And faith simply professes that what God has said in creation, namely that He created all things, I believe. That's what faith says. I don't suppress in unbelief the obvious undeniable truth of reality that there is a God. But secondly, the first part of verse 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. And again, you might guess the, the, some of your translations have a different word. Some of your translations say the substance of things hoped for. When you think about assurance, once again, what do you think about? You think about a subjective feeling you have. You feel assured of something's reality. But that other translation says the substance of things hoped for. By the way, this word, substance, it's the same word in Hebrews 1 used to describe Jesus who say, where it says that Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. He's of the exact substance of God. So again, this is not just something in our minds. This is not just something that we feel or sense or have assurance, uh, subjective assurance about. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Verse 2, for by it the people of old received their, their commendation. By faith the people of old received their commendation. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith, in other words, attaches us to the reality that's there. When God says, I will do so and so, and makes us a promise, the fulfillment of that promise, that thing for which we hope, when God grants us the gift of faith, we attach ourselves to that reality. We taste, by faith we taste, of the actual goodness of God in the fulfillment of that promise, even be it a future fulfillment. You see, God promised, and the Old Testament saints that we're beginning to look at in chapter 11 took Him at His word. No matter how far-fetched or impossible His promise may have seemed. Verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Remember the story? In Genesis 2 or 4, in, in Genesis 4, we're told that Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. In verse 2, it says, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. 
In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering from, of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. And what follows that is the way Abel got dead is Cain got jealous, and he killed his brother. Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God. Now, we could spend a lot of time speculating as to why God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice and not with Cain's. We're not going to do that because we don't have to. We might do that on Wednesday night a little bit in our, in our See for Yourself study, but we don't have to because Hebrews eleven four 4 has already told us Abel offered his sacrifice in faith, and Cain apparently did not. Now, that could mean that Abel offered the right thing and Cain did not. But at the very least, what it means is the heart was not a heart of faith toward God in the heart of Cain. You see, as John Piper says, faith doesn't create what we hope for. That would just be a mere mind game. Faith is a spiritual apprehending or perceiving or tasting or sensing of the beauty and sweetness and preciousness and goodness of what God promises, especially his own fellowship and the enjoyment of his own presence. Faith does not just feel confident that this is coming someday. Faith has spiritually laid hold of and perceived and tasted that it is real. Abel offered a sacrifice in faith. And his sacrifice was acceptable. It was pleasing to God because it was offered in faith. And through his faith, though he died, Abel still preaches, you can trust God. You can believe God. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What faith is. Dr. J. Oswald Sanders put it perfectly. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Faith enables us to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Thirdly, this morning from verse 6, what faith believes. We've seen what faith is. We've seen, seen now what faith believes. Verse 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe two things. That He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Can't please God without faith. The necessity of faith. We've seen what faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And finally now, what faith believes. Two things. Faith believes that God is real, that He exists. And faith believes that God is a rewarder, as the text says, of those who seek Him. You've got to believe that God is and you got to believe he's a rewarder. He's real and he's a rewarder. Can you all remember those two things? He's real. 
again, he's spoken and made himself known. He's real and he's a rewarder. Do you believe that about God? Let me just say this. Anything less than that is an insult to God. If you don't believe God is a rewarder of the one who seeks him, then in essence you, you don't believe God's good. You don't believe he wants the best for you. You don't believe he's full of mercy and grace. But, but the text says you've got to believe that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. He, he wants to reward you if you seek him. He wants to give you grace. Two men that illustrated faith in God by believing that God is real and a rewarder, the one who seeks him. Illustrations, these, these men's lives here in the text that illustrate this reality. First of all, Enoch in verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. You're reading that and you're thinking, what in the world is all this about? Well, Enoch never died. That's the short version. In fact, let's just read it from Genesis 5. Going through this long genealogy there. And Moses pauses here to write a little bit more about Enoch. When Enoch was, had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Indication is, up to that point, because of the verse we're fixing to read in verse 22, he did not walk with God. But verse 22 says, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah, listen, 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And so now read verse 5 in Hebrews 11 again. By faith Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Enoch walked with God. He believed that he was, and he believed he was a rewarder of those that seek him, and he sought him, and he walked with him. And you know what God did? He rewarded him. He didn't have to go through death. He just took him. He was on earth one minute. Next minute, he was with the Lord, never having died. I'm about that plan. Don't think it's going to work out for me. But how awesome is that? What an illustration of what it means to walk with God. What does it mean to live by faith in God? It means to walk with Him. To walk close with Him. To be pleasing to Him. To trust what He says and live like it. Another person who illustrates Hebrews 11 verse 6 is Noah. Verse 7, it says, By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, by that construction project, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes, how? By faith. By faith. In Genesis 6, we're told that the world had gotten really bad. 
In fact, in Genesis 6, early verses, it says something to the effect, this is a paraphrase, basically every intention of the thoughts of the hearts of men was evil all the time. That's bad. That's wickedness run rampant. Every time anybody on the planet, except Noah and his family, thought they sinned. They were full of wickedness. And God grew weary. But in verse 8 of chapter 6, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9, because Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah, here's that language again, walked with God. And so God comes to Noah, and and God tells Noah that he's going to judge the earth with a worldwide flood, and that Noah is to build an ark for the preservation of his family, and, and, and in fact, all the animals of the world, so that once the destruction is over, things can restart, reboot, if you will. And in Genesis 6, verse 22, it says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He built the ark, and he loaded it up. God brought the animals, but he opened the door, did everything God said. Two by two, they came. Remember Hebrews 11, verse 7, By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. By the way, some people think that perhaps it had not rained on earth, but potentially the, 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 the climate of earth was such that it didn't have to rain. There was just moisture in, in the air, whatever that, be that as it may. Maybe it just means there had never been a flood like this. In reverent fear, Noah constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world, and he became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Everything God told him to do, he did. By faith. No, I'm fixing to do something the world's never seen. I'm going to wipe the whole planet out with a flood. Noah's out there in the desert building the ark. His neighbors are coming by, dude, what are you doing? Well, it's going to do this thing called rain. But it's not just going to do it a little bit, it's going to do it a lot. And this thing's called an ark. It's a boat. It'll float in the water. And I'm going to be on it. Me and my my gang are going to be on it. And God said he's going to save me from drowning in, in more water than you can imagine that's ever been. And so I'm building the boat because God said he's going to flood the earth and everyone will die that's not on the boat. you imagine? Noah, you are crazy. Noah, you've lost your mind. What is rain? At best, what is a flood? What do you mean? You're crazy, Noah. You're wasting your time. You're wasting months. You're wasting however long it took to build the ark. You're wasting years of your life. All because you think God said. And yet he kept building. And when the flood came, Noah was saved. Condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You see, our heritage of faith should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is God's best word.
God puts Noah, just take him, Noah, in this list. He believed a crazy promise. There's going to be a flood. And it happened. The book of Hebrews is an appeal to you and I to keep following Jesus based on what's already happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what will, because Jesus lives, happen in eternity. The grave is empty. We've got proof that it worked. We've got proof that His Word is true. I'm not going to let my Holy One see decay. And on the third day, He raised Him up. So today, you and I can trust Him, and one day, we'll be with Him. J.D. Greer said, Faith is a bold dare on the promises of an unseen God. Faith's object is the revealed Word of God. It's not a positive feeling. It's not a hunch. It's not a wish upon a star. It is quite simply believing the promises of God, specifically the promises of God about Jesus Christ. Our heritage of faith should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is God's best word. You know, 1 Peter 3 teaches us that just as Noah believed God built the ark and got into it, so we can be saved from the flood of God's wrath by faith in Jesus Christ. The only Savior who can rescue us from God's wrath. But on that great judgment day, on that judgment day yet to come, listen to me, it won't be a flood of water, the Bible says. It'll be an all-consuming fire that will eternally destroy all who have rejected Jesus, all who have not come to Christ in faith, all who have not pleased God by trusting in His Son. Remember what the Father said? This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Don't just listen to Him. Believe Him. Trust in Him. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our heritage of faith should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is God's best word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us, right now, guys, right now, this is to us, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We, if you know Jesus today, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. It's not always easy to follow Him, is it? There's a lot of things that hit us in life that come at us. Circumstances, feelings, tragedies, 
opposition that make us want to shrink back from trusting and obeying Jesus. Because sometimes trusting and obeying Jesus means opposition. Sometimes it, it lines us up on just right the opposite side from the rest of the world. But we're not of those who shrink back. We're those who have faith and preserve their souls. Jesus has proven himself. God is, the one who promised, is faithful. God cannot lie. And he has said that Jesus is the only Savior, our only hope, even our eternal hope. There's a whole host of saints who finished their race of faith. Now it's our turn. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the encouragement to trust Jesus, to live by faith that you've given us in your word. Thank you for helping us understand clearly what faith is and how necessary it is. Thank you for showing us what faith believes. Lord, you are real and you are the rewarder of those who seek you. And so we want to seek you. We never want to stop seeking you. We don't want to run short on endurance and drop out of the race of faith. We don't want to shrink back and be destroyed, but rather we want to trust you all the way to the end and preserve our souls. So God, help us strengthen our faith. Give us eyes to see the certainty of the gospel, even as we look on a resurrected Christ with eyes of faith this morning. Jesus, you live, and because you live, because you live, we can face whatever it is today and tomorrow and every day until you come again. Lord, if any in this room have not trusted you, they've never put their faith in you, even for the first time, then, Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, even as we sing, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. You respond to this word as the Lord moves in your heart as we sing.
people said. Amen and amen. You may be seated for just a moment. Uh, just a few quick announcements before we dismiss this morning. First of all, the welcome team meeting that's uh, in your bulletin there has been...